Hi, everybody. I'm Andrea Truejoy Fox, your host for Talks with a Fox podcast. I am so happy you have joined me on this journey of self-discovery, where I will share stories and lessons that I have learned through my journey as a teacher, as an artist, as a Blackfoot woman, and as a human being. I will also be sharing my conversations with some amazing human beings that I have met who are living inspirational lives and leading with purpose as they share their gifts with the world. Now get ready to be inspired, to feel connected, and to dream big as you grow your goals and reflect on your own journey in this exciting place called life. So grab a coffee or a tea and join our conversation here in the Fox Den for Talks with the Fox podcast, where we will share stories, laughter, and inspiration. Taking care of my body is very important to me so I can continue to enjoy the health benefits of a physically active lifestyle. That's why I believe in products that help with post-workout recovery and cognitive function. Everyday Natural Products is a Washington homegrown brand that formulates everything themselves. From a wide variety of vitamin and nutritional supplements and ingredients, all healthy for humans and pets. Natural products you can feel good about taking every day. Please visit www.enpstore.com and be sure to use TWAF as a discount code for your health and wellness products today so you too can enjoy the health benefits of Everyday Natural Products. Okay, and hello, good afternoon. I am here with the wonderful Joy Spear Chief Morris, who is an Indigenous Black Canadian 100-meter hurdler. She is also from the Ghana tribe, Blood Tribe, which is also where I'm from. And she grew up in Lethbridge, Alberta. And she definitely has more layers to her. And that's why we're sitting down today to talk about her journey as an educator working in academics on her journey through her graduate studies. And of course, her exciting adventures as a highly accomplished athlete. Joy has a bachelor's degree in history and First Nations studies, and she's going to be sharing with us more about what her educational journey has been, uh, what it's been like so far, and where it's led to her master's degree in political science, specializing in transitional justice and post-conflict reconstruction at Western University. I'm so excited to hear about where this journey is taking her and why she has chosen to specialize in these very important areas of education. Welcome, Joy. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for coming on to the show. I am so excited for us to talk today and share who you are with with everybody who's listening out there. Um, I guess I would like us to talk about, first of all, where are you from? I know I talked about uh, that in the intro, but can you tell us more about where you grew up? Um, yeah, so Oki, Nidanagi, Sabaki, New York, Sagokotok. So, um, as you said, my name is Joy. I just did my uh, traditional introduction. So, I am from, as you mentioned, 
of the Gaina Blood Tribe. Um, I grew up in Los Bridge, Alberta, so that was where I, you know, spent <laughs> spent the first 18 years of my life, you know, visiting, um, you know, relatives and community when I when I could, and when our, my mom would take me and my brother there. Um, and then I graduated high school, and I took off to the West Coast for a little while, and then I made my way to London, Ontario, which is where I am uh, now. That's where I live right now. And um, made myself back to the West Coast for about a year, and then back to London. So I'm, yeah, that's where I am now. That's where I live. That's where I work, where I train for the current time until that, you know, until something changes and I'm wet on a different direction. Wow, you have been pretty much all over the map. (laughs) That's definitely exciting. I'm sure you have met some really interesting people along the way and you have expanded your network and your areas of support, your circle of support. How do you stay connected to your family? I imagine that they are not where you are currently located, where home is for you right now. So what are some ways that you connect with your family and friends back home? Yeah, so um, my parents still live in Alberta. They live in Lethbridge. My brother and his wife currently live in Washington, D.C. in the States. Uh, my Most of my dad's family lives throughout the United States. Um, majority of my mom's family live in either Lethbridge or out on the reserve. Um, so I have kind of gotten used to living away from home. I haven't lived at home for uh, about eight years now. So, you know, keep up with regular um calls home every now and then um me and my mom like text quite a bit um me and my brother will text on the occasion um with him being relatively close to the east coast right now i um get to visit you know every so often and by every so often i mean like once a year but um (laughs) it seems like a lot for me um which is one of the nice things about i will say covid has been um it has kind of changed the way i think in general, how we in society are learning to communicate and with connect with each other. And it actually has kind of um, changed a little bit how our family has connected with each other, which I will say has been a really nice um, blessing. So with Zoom and all those sort of things, um, before we used to have, you know, weekly phone calls or, you know, I'd FaceTime with my mom and dad sometimes, but now with Zoom, we're able to have um, like family video chats as, as a whole, which is, which has been really nice. And um, since we only can really come together as a family, usually around Christmas time, um, in the summer times, just with my schedules and with my brother's schedule, it's really rare that we would both be home at the same time <laughs> in the summer. Last summer, I was home for three and a half days. My brother was home for a week, not at the same time. So it's nice to just kind of be all together and, you know, even from afar in little instances. Wow. <laughs> I can I can only imagine. Um, my siblings don't live too far from me. One lives in another city and the other one lives in another town. Um, you know, I'm talking only two hours distance. And if we don't see each other every now and then, it, it feels like we haven't seen each other in a long time. So I commend you for working hard and staying connected with your family, with the physical distance between you. And as you mentioned, adjusting to the way life has changed for everybody in the world with the COVID crisis. Yeah. And I think also one of the things that, you know, having, you know, lived as many places as as I have now and traveled as much as I have is um, I've learned that the true connections I have with like friends and family 
um, distance doesn't really matter. Like the relationships I have with those people don't change just because I'm gone. Um, if they do change, you know, it's, they weren't meant to be in my life for that amount of time. Like, um, the ones who have stayed with me over the years, you know, I'll, we'll chat, I'll text, FaceTime, all that kind of stuff. Um, I have group, I have a group chat with my closest friends from high school, you know, and we get together every Christmas for our annual Christmas party. Um, but besides that, we only see each other, same thing, once a year as a whole, as a whole group. And sometimes it's only one day out of the whole year together, but those friendships haven't changed. If anything, they've kind of gotten stronger. They're still my closest friends. Um, all of my, I would say majority of my closest friends don't even live anywhere near me. I have a couple close friends who live in London that I went to school with here. The rest live in either um, Alberta. I have some friends in the States. Um, yeah, friends all over. Wow. I think that is such a beautiful way to look at it. I mean, it sounds like you're very much a half cup full person, you know, <laughs> you're working with your situation with, like you said, you know, not being able to physically be, you know, in the same places as your loved ones, but you're making the most of it and just remaining connected. And I think that goes with the saying where, you know, you can have those lifelong friends and you may not see each other for a long time, but the moment you get back together in person, it's like you were never apart and you just pick up where you left off. Yeah, and I find that, especially even now, like, um, I'll get into, like, little grooves with some friends that, you know, we'll be chatting for a lot over one thing, and then maybe we don't chat for a month, and then we pick up on the exact same conversation. Um, some of my closest friends, we just will randomly call each other um, every couple of days or once a week, and um, it's the same thing. It's just kind of picking up exactly where the conversation ended before, like, no time passes, and yeah, it's it's a nice way because there have been a lot of times where I've, I've, I've felt really alone with where I am and um, especially in the last year I've just had to um, find ways to remind myself that I'm not I'm not as alone as I sometimes may feel mm-hmm. yes I I think that really helps us to to stay strong you know when we're physically alone and then just thinking of how we have all these people who are supporting us and supporting you and cheering for you and and following you along your journey and I myself have been one of those people I'm I just want to say joy that I'm super proud of everything that you've accomplished and I when I first heard about you this was over five years ago I I was immediately inspired. And at the time I was coaching cross country, um, in Ghana for the middle school. And I was looking for role models and, um, people in positions of, uh, influence and particularly indigenous influencers, because I think of when I was a kid and, you know, we, there weren't too many posters of our indigenous athletes or people who were excelling in different areas, including education and, and many different careers. So when I did see somebody, um, you know, in the media uh, from my community or from the larger indigenous community, it just, it meant a lot to me. And it felt like, okay, the world sees me as a person, the world can see me and I'm so proud of whoever this person is and maybe that's something I can do someday. So um, it was really important for me as a coach and as a teacher to connect my athletes and my students to someone like yourself, um, whether they see themselves in you or they are inspired by your journey and knowing that you 
part of you comes from our, our community through your mom's side. Um, that's why I, I reached out to you. And this was, I believe, about four years ago, um, we held a fundraising run to get our our running warriors cross country team from Ghana to McFarland, California. And I reached out to you through social media and Figuring you, figuring you, figuring that you were a super, you are a super busy lady. I, I thought, well, I'm just going to give it a shot and see if she happens to be in the area and if her schedule will allow her to pop by and help be our race marshal and uh, share some words of encouragement for the community. And you came out and you showed up. And I know that meant so much to me, but I also know that it really meant a lot to our community and everybody was really proud of you. And I know that they still continue to uh, hold you in high regard for your determination to go out into the world, um, follow your dreams and, and, see where your journey has taken you and, and do many things that, that I'm sure make your family and friends proud. And I know the communities as well, and, and not just the indigenous communities, the communities that I know you're connected to as well, um, from where you, where you grew up and, and your network, where it's expanded to, where you have the places you've gone in the world. So I, I wanted to make reference to that meeting you four years ago and, you did your signing and you took photos with the community and I could see the face, the the smiles, the big smiles on the faces of the children and youth who were standing beside you and posing with you. And that meant a lot. And I really respect you for that. So a shout out to you for, for making time and coming home and uh, connecting with, with one of the communities that you're part of. Yeah, um, thanks for that. And, you know, thanks for inviting me to that event. Um, it was one of those ones that it just so happened that I was home um, when it was when we were having it, which um, doesn't really happen very often. I get invited to um, a lot of things where um, just a lot of the times I'm just I'm not available just due to um, my own track schedule or, um, you know, school or something like that. And um, I don't have any, you know, major sponsorships and stuff like that. I, I support myself, so I don't really have the, you know, the funds or ability just to be able to travel any which way. So um, a lot of times it is just kind of uh, serendipity or, you know, is it is am I able to physically be there? So, um, sorry, I'm going to stop for a second because my cat is trying to stress sure. at me. <laughs> go, go away. Okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Well, we can shift gears and talk about text, um, but before we do, <laughs> I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to say, I think you were off to a wedding that day, and I remember you were like, okay, I got to see how I can swing this. I basically have to be in two places at the same time. Uh, yeah, that was it. I remember it was, that was a busy summer. It's always how my summers I'm being, I was telling your friend, this is the, um, this is the first time I can remember where I haven't traveled anywhere or physically been in one place for this amount of time like I, I haven't uh, this weekend was the first time I left the city it since February wow and, and it might have been like oh no I think that yeah middle of February and by middle of February I mean I went to Toronto for a day but like this is the first time I've left the city for any amount of time I haven't left the province since January and usually I am every which way almost every weekend at least every month Wow. So it sounds like pre-COVID slash quarantine life, social distancing, uh, you were already in the process of just 
finding that contentment, I guess, if you will, of, you know, from shifting from traveling and, you know, with your training schedule, like you mentioned, and your other parts of your life, like your schooling, um, you, you sound like it was a nice transition into the social distancing, you know, not, not being able to leave your home, um, or travel. (laughs) Not, not quite really. Um, it all happened really quickly. I was supposed to leave for a training camp in California about two weeks after COVID hit. And um, it was kind of a lull. I usually get a little bit of a period off of competing between indoor season and outdoor season. And um, usually to kick off outdoor season, we'll head to an outdoor training camp. Um, and that was in California and that was all planned and that was all booked. All our tickets were booked, our Airbnbs were booked. Um, wow. I think that car was booked. And um, <laughs> then COVID hit and we canceled, had to cancel everything. Um, and also I was also a full-time student. So I was on campus every single day for, you know, 12 hours, at least a day. And so all of a sudden I went from, you know, never stopping to never stop moving to what do I do now? I'm just in my place by myself. (laughs) So yeah, it was quite a, it was quite a shock to the system. Okay. Yes. When you put it that way, (laughs) I can, I can understand. I have the better idea of, of yeah, how life changed for you. Um, I guess that takes me to my curiosity. Um, Okay. So I'm curious, what do you do to take care of yourself? How does uh, wellness fit into your life? How do you prioritize wellness? Yeah. So that's something I'm, I feel like I'm kind of continuously working on. Um, Even before COVID, I was, you know, having trouble finding ways to, find enjoyment in my life outside of track and outside of school and all these sort of things. Like I was, I was going through a really rough time mentally. Um, and, um, I used to write, I, you know, I write a lot, but I used to write a lot more. Um, and then I kind of, um, started to not do so well with my mental health and I stopped writing and I was, you know, trying struggling, find ways to, you know, do things for me. Um, and then I kind of got into rock climbing, um, with a friend and really got into that. And that was great because I just know I need something that's, that I can do physically to be able to keep myself kind of, um, I feel my brain is most calm when I'm doing something physically as, as far as, as weird and the most interesting as that sound, but it's, when I have like, when I can focus on doing something with my body, I'm a lot less likely to, um, get distracted in a way. Um, I took up yoga last summer, um, but that was hard to keep up during the year with my school schedule. So we're starting to find those things and then COVID hit and had to readjust because everything closed. So um, I we kind of took up yoga at, in my house um, or my house, my apartment. Um, and I have, was doing for quite a long time, um, just, you know, 20 to 20, 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes of just yoga from like a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. every morning just to start my day. And I found that really helped kind of center me in a spot and I'm still doing it. I find a lot of times now I wake up and I just want to get straight to my email or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes I have to remind myself to do that, but also with um, just the Olympics being postponed this year and training, changing facilities, I've found ways to, I've had to challenge myself to find ways to both stay fit and 
um, keep well. So, you know, once a week I'll go on just like a run just for myself. And that's really nice to kind of just get the body moving and clear my head. I've gotten back into my writing, which has really helped, um, so, you know, just, just a variety of ways. I find I'm a very, I'm a very, very extroverted person. So a lot of times it's even just, you know, having a really long conversation with a friend on the phone really helps me. So, yeah. I think those are really amazing ways to practice your wellness. And it sounds like being physically active. I mean, we look at your, your journey through athletics, that would only seem natural for you to be drawn to doing something with your body. Um, I think it's, I think it's really wonderful that you found different ways, though, that maybe don't necessarily connect to what you do in your competitive sports, such as the yoga and the rock climbing. Um, I think those are really uh, wonderful ways to give back to your body. And and I really appreciate how you, um, you know, you have to be physical to have that wellness, you know, and I think I think sometimes we think that wellness is always just um, perhaps being in a quiet space and, you know, absolute calmness, but wellness can look, look like different things for different people. So I'm really happy you shared that. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who can connect to that. Yeah. And that was kind of something I always struggled with because, you know, when I was in high school and stuff and people were like, Oh, what are your hobbies? And I'd be like, Oh, I play sports and stuff like that. But, um, you know, as I moved through university and, um, you know, then out of, out of university these last couple of years, you know, sport no longer was, it wasn't a hobby. It, it's, it's in a way it's really kind of like my second job, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I dedicate a large amount of my time and being to, to what I do. And, um, so there were times where it's like, well, track isn't, track's not a hobby for me, right? I, I do this every day, but I'm doing it with a purpose. And, you know, sometimes I don't want to go to the track. Sometimes I don't, I don't want to show up and do that workout, but I, I have to do it. And I, I do it for a purpose. Um, so finding hobbies was kind of something I was always searching for, you know, it's like, oh, I like to read, but with school, you know, I don't get to read things I want to all the time, or um, I'm a, a big lover of movies and stuff like that. But, you know, I couldn't count just watching Netflix as a, a hobby. <laughs> so it was trying to find those things that I could find enjoyment with that, you know, provided um, some sort of meaning and, um, you know, I guess like you said, wellness for me, but really don't matter if I do them or not. And I think that was the kind of thing that I'm doing them because I truly want to do them. Mm. So I think that was um, what I found with rock climbing for sure. And yoga is one of those ones where I go back and forth. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. It just <laughs> depends on depends on the time of year and my mood, I suppose. Yes, I, I can definitely relate. Um, like if I'm thinking about going out on a trail and I'm struggling for motivation or I'm tired and, you know, whatever is going on in my mind that is just saying, it's okay. You don't have to go out. But then when I do it, after I come back, I feel so great. And I'm, I'm just happy that I did it. I feel a lot better. So I mm-hmm. I can relate to you with you on that. Um, so I'm, I am super curious. Um, you're a sprinter and a hurdler. Uh, track and field has been a big part of your athletics career. Um, what inspired you to get into those particular sports? Um, yeah, so track. <laughs> I feel like I've said this so many times in different, like, you know, speaking agents or interviews, and now on the spot I can't remember, but 
track has been, you know, it was one of those things I always did as a kid in like elementary school, you have like, you know, your sports day and stuff like that. And um, it was always the the sports that I looked forward to the most, you know, doing high jump and um, yeah, all the jumps and just like the relays and all of that. They were always what I looked forward to. And um, as I got into middle school, you know, then you actually got a chance to compete in track and field. And um, same thing, always the sport I looked forward to the most. Um, my brother did track for a little bit in high school. He was a, a basketball player, but you know, did track just, I think, for something to do in the <laughs> spring. And so I kind of watched him and um, just being who he is. And um, as my older brother, I just tried to emulate everything he did. He's my biggest role model. And I'm sure he gets tired of me saying that all the time, but he, <laughs> it's very true. Um, and so I just, you know, wanted to do everything he did. And so track was one of those things. And um, it really wasn't until I was in high school where it suddenly kind of clicked that track was something I was good at. Um, and at that point in time, it was something I realized that um, I could do if I, if I want to go to university, you know, get a track scholarship that would, you know, be a, a huge, a huge help financially. But also I felt like it would be something that I could continue with sport in a, in a higher way. So that's really kind of how I got to track in the, in the way I was. It wasn't like I, dreamed of being an Olympian as a high schooler or it was the only track I, or the only sport that I did. I did, you know, all different sports growing up and stuff like that. I just, I feel like I just kind of fell into it and then um, all of a sudden discovered that I was really good at it and the passion kind of grew from there during university. Wow. Yeah. That, I think that's amazing when you can connect your passion and with purpose and you're able to do, do it and continue to excel in the levels that you, the goals that you set for yourself. Was there a p- particular person who early on in your athletics career who said, you know what, Joy, I think that this is what you should be doing, or you need to be doing this, um, continue aspiring to attain those more competitive levels, like you said, at the post-secondary level and, and beyond. Is there a particular person who said that to you or who gave you that encouragement or affirmation? Um, not, not really straightforward like that. Um, I had some really good teachers in high school who um, kind of ran the track and field program. They're also really just kind of into, you know, just kind of letting um, those of us students who, you know, kind of knew a little bit about track who, you know, did the Ford Track Club in different capacities and stuff like that. They just kind of let us, you know, do what we needed to do and support us in any which way. So um, I feel like I kind of really drove that path and I'm I also my you know my parents as well you know with their encouragement stuff and you know wanting us to go to university never pressuring us or you know forcing on us but you know just wanting us to you know do do the best that we could at everything and so um you know going to university was one of those things um and also just my brother was about five years older than me so um by the time I was in high school he was already in university um playing playing basketball varsity basketball so you know, he, he did it. I wanted to do it too. So (laughs) I think that's wonderful when you can have a a friendship with your, with your sibling. Um, I think it just adds that extra layer of support and, you know, and they're not just your sibling. They're, they're somebody you can really count on and lean on and talk to, have those conversations with. Yeah, for sure. And he's been someone that, um, at a lot of points when I've had 
to make some decisions and stuff like particularly when I made the decision to wanting to transfer schools um, halfway through my degree um, he was the first person I called about it so wow and was he did he is his like his what is his style of support for you is it an ear you know sometimes people will just lend us an ear or is it you know giving you feedback advice uh, He's very much a, a feedback person. Yeah. Um, my, my brother's name is Julian. Julian will just kind of tell you things as, as he feels and thinks about it. So um, he's, a, he's always going to give you honest advice. And um, sometimes it comes across like, oh, uh, I didn't, didn't think about it that way. But um, <laughs> it always comes from a, you know, a perspective of caring and wanting the best for you know, me, I hope. <laughs> I, yes, I believe. <laughs> well, I, I think that you come from a very strong family and seem they seem very well connected I I had the uh the joy (laughs) of meeting your mom last year um we had I had invited your brother to be a keynote speaker for the Indigenous high school graduates in the public school district and uh, his speech was very inspiring um and I know that a lot of people from the community were very proud to see you know, where his journey has taken him through, you know, being a Harvard grad and moving on into his career in law and how he's representing many people in different, uh, different cultural groups. Um, and then your mom and I got to sit together and have dinner because she, she came uh, to hear his speech. And um, it was really wonderful being able to sit with your mom. And I can just from the, that time that I had with her, I can really see how uh, how you come from a very supportive family. And, you know, they're very much about um, nurturing the the journey in your education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. My parents have been, yeah, I can't ask for better parents, to be honest. They've been incredibly supportive in everything that I've done and um, you know, allowing me to, you know, move, um, move across the country and back and, you know, moving me as well. They've, they've done the drive to Ontario a couple of times. And, um, my, me and my dad drove down to California when I moved there. My mom flew down and met us as well. Um, you know, so they are incredibly supportive and, um, education as well has been always something they've been, um, super, uh, you know, always, always wanting us to make sure that we gave our education everything and, you know, um, for sure wanting us to get, you know, our, our bachelor's degree. That was a big thing. Um, my mom being the first person in her family to go to university and the first person to get a master's degree. I believe my brother's only the second, um, in, in our family. I, I, I can, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Um, (laughs) um, and lost my turn of thought. You may have to, you may have to re-edit that. <laughs> but um, yeah, just you know, always just wanting us to to have the best and achieve the best that we could. And education was always really important part of that. So that brings me to to I want to know why you chose Western University. Um, you became a Western Mustang for their track and field team, and that's where you're currently completing your master's degree as well. So what made you decide to take on the, uh, the athletics program there and, and as well as your academics? Yeah, so I was a transfer student. Um, so I started my degree at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. 
And I thought, yeah, I thought I was going to be a funder. I thought I was going to graduate there. That was the plan. Um, I thought I was going to live in the city. Um, and I had a very good first year. I had a successful year um, in in track. I actually started to do well thanks to um, a really great coach that I ended up finding there. Um, Derek Johnson ended up, you know, becoming the sprint coach on the team the same year I came to the team. Um, met some great friends through um, just living in residence that year and had an amazing year overall. Um, my second year kind of was a little bit different. I came off of my first year in track, you know, um, going to Canada Summer Games and, you know, doing as well as I did, making nationals for collegiates and all these things. And, you know, I had really big goals for myself and realizing I could be, you know, so much better. And um, the team atmosphere at that time was not supportive of that. I didn't find the support I was looking for by either the team administration from um, the head coach. I didn't find that support financially. I didn't find that support from my teammates. Um, I didn't find that support from my roommates. Um, so I just felt really kind of, um, in many ways, a little bit bullied and a little bit felt like I felt a little isolated. Like I shouldn't want to you know, be as good as I am or achieve what I wanted to without feeling like, you know, I was going to lose friends or people would talk about me behind my back and stuff like that. It just became a very um, not supportive environment for me. And academic wise, I just could not pick a program. Basically, I was like jumping from major to major, unable to find what I wanted to do. Um, I was struggling financially, just all these different things. And um at the very end of that school year, um, my coach Derek kind of came up to me and said that he had taken a job at Western and if I wanted to go, let him know kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, kind of had a moment where I was like, Oh, great. Now my coach is leaving. What do I do now? And, you know, kind <laughs> of went home and cried and called my brother and tried to figure out what to do and mm -hmm. looked in. I was like, what is the school? What is Western? And it's all the way in Ontario. I've never really been there. And, um, I just spent a weekend thinking about it and looking at it and really kind of, um, was what got me is my brother said, he's like, you work too hard to not be appreciated for it. And that was kind of the the main thing that um, I was like, that that is true. He said, you deserve to go somewhere where you're wanted. And um, and that was kind of it. Over the next kind of month, I did all the, you know, recruiting steps and um, transferred and ended up at Western. And I don't regret a single minute of it. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made. I wouldn't be where I am today without having made that choice. That is so commendable and admirable. I mean, some, a lot of people, you know, when things get tough or challenging, um, they, they might just choose to remain where they are, but you took it upon yourself to shift your, yourself out of a situation that wasn't, wasn't working for you and serving your goals. And I think that's really important to, to address because like I said, a lot of people you know, for whatever reason, whether it's lack of confidence or courage to to take themselves, remove themselves from a situation um, that isn't supporting them or nurturing them in the ways that they need to in order to thrive. And more importantly, to be able to pursue their their passions and their purpose. And I think that's really, really amazing that you did that and look at where it's taken you. Um, I guess if you looked back and you've 
you know, well, as you, as you talk about where your thought process was at the time and then where your journey has continued on and, you know, you're taking that action to move yourself to a place that was going to serve you and is serving your, your academic and your athletic goals. I'm, I just find that really respectable. And I think, I think it's also important to say, like, sometimes it does take that one person in our, in our life who is, you know, going to tell us what they think is best for us, or they recognize what we deserve. And I think that's really commendable of your brother to, to have shared those, those wise words with you. And um, I mean, here you are now, you're, you're doing your master's degree, you're at the graduate level, and you are studying political science, uh, specializing in transitional justice and post-conflict reconstruction. Can you tell me all about that? What, what, what made you decide to focus on that as your specialization? And where do you see yourself taking that education when you complete your graduate studies? Yeah, for sure. I know it has the longest title ever. <laughs> My degree is going to be really squished for letters, for sure. Um, uh, so I graduated with my undergraduate degree, my bachelor's degree in history and um, First Nation studies. So I ended up in history when I transferred and um, kind of, you know, weighed the counselor because I had no history credits up until that point. Um, and she's like, are you sure? Are you, are you sure you don't want to go into one of the other programs you have all these credits for? And I was like, yeah, sure. Looks great. Um, and I ended up taking a First Nation Studies course um, that first. So it would have been my third year of university, but my first year at Western. Um, I was also kind of as an easy elective. I thought, well, there's no way I can't get a bad grade in this course. Um, <laughs> And I just, it was one of those courses where I just realized how much it was kind of the missing link in my academics that I was missing. Like it was, it finally made what I was studying um, kind of fit and kind of gave it um, purpose. Sorry, if you could hear text. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was that missing link that just kind of, you know, made my academic um, journey for a better word, just kind of. Um, piece together and I just realized that one it was it was something that I just found like oh why am I not writing about this I have so much you know I have all this knowledge I didn't realize that I had just kind of from growing up and you know all the lessons that my mom and my grandma and my family had taught me they were just there and you know they were starting to come forward but I also found that I learned more about us as as blackfoot people and as myself as a blackfoot woman from moving away from home and taking these classes it really just kind of helped me connect to you know who I was because you know most of the classes you know being in um Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe area you know they focus on that that culture cultural perspective but um I had profs in you know the First Nations Studies Department now Indigenous Studies that really let me explore who I was as an Indigenous person and take those perspectives and then I found ways where I was working it into my other classes I was finding ways to you know finally um assert my my perspective in myself into my history classes whether it be you know <laughs> you have to take world credits in history so i was taking like uh history of japan until the modern era and i was talking about the similarities between the ainu indigenous people of japan and residential school people in canada residential school survivors in canada i was you know doing those comparisons and just finding ways that really made it um worth it and i ended up being very happy with the degree i had when i did graduate mm. um, 
And then, you know, you graduate and you're like, oh, what do you do? Um, and I knew graduating, having been in school for five years, I did not want to do a master's degree unless it was something I was 100% truly interested in. I knew I wanted to go in graduate school eventually, but, mm-hmm. you know, I decided, let's move to California. Let's try being a full-time athlete, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, school will be there when I want to. You know, I thought um, perhaps I would... Um, you know, I thought perhaps I would do a policy degree. I kept lying to people because they're like, what do you want to do when you grow up? What are you going to do with a history degree? And I was like, oh, I'll just, um, I'll be, um, a pol- I'm going to be a policy analysis in indigenous politics in Canada. I don't have any idea what that meant. <laughs> um, but I just, that's what I would say to just kind of get people off my back. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'll go into, I'll go into indigenous policy eventually. And, you know, I wanted to look at these top policy schools and, the more I looked at them and the more um, I learned about policy itself, the more I realized it was not the fit for me. <laughs> the more I was just like, yeah, I, this, is, this is too slow paced for what I want to do. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do something that was going to, you know, have change and meaning um, for Indigenous people on a national level. I knew I wanted to be in that field. I don't want to be an MP or in government or that thing, that specifically, but I want to be, you know, working on those levels. Um, so when I moved back to Canada in 2018, I was like, okay, maybe I should start looking at master's programs because I'm not finding the type of career I, I want to right now. And, you know, only doing track is making me crazy. I need to have something else going on. Um, I left school. Okay. Let's see about going back to school, but same thing. I'm not going to do just a master's degree. So I wasn't going to do a master's of history. So I just, over that summer, I just kind of opened up my laptop and just looked at pretty much every single post-secondary um graduate degree program that western had and i kept looking for something that was going to spark some sort of interest for me and i came across the center for transitional justice and post-conflict reconstruction realized it was cross-departmental so there was a lot of options on which perspective to take it from um and the more i read about it the more i realized this is the type of work that i want to look at i want to look at how does canada um in, its, in itself deal with its conflict in a, in, a, in, in a sense of words with indigenous people and how does it move towards reconciliation? And I was like, well, that's exactly what I want to look at. So I knew I was going to be in that specialization program. I had to find a home community. So I ended up just emailing every single professor on that list. So I found someone who would be willing to talk with me and maybe supervise me. And I ended up with the director of the center. Um, her name is Joanna Quinn. And we just clicked right away. She was in the political science department, and she is my um, supervisor right now. So that's how I ended up in the degree I am. Wow. It's very it's very applicable to everything that's happening right now, the climate out there around um, things happening in Canada and the injustices that are happening in Canada and the United States. So I think you've picked a very important area of research to 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 get involved with, because like you said, it's, you know, policy is wonderful. And, you know, in the sense when it can be written in a way that is going to change processes for, for the people that are, are affected by it. However, um, taking an active role in other ways, I believe is how you can create change. You know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to wait to be at the level of, of writing policy, but rather, I believe inspiring those policymakers by living through your 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 advocacies and activisms, um, people such as yourself who are uh, furthering their education in these areas. So I I myself am personally curious about um, you know 
what you were studying. And when I saw, when I was reading through um, your blog, um, I looked at the different, uh, I looked at the different um, uh, narratives that you have been sharing and perspectives. And I really appreciate it as, as a woman and as a, as a indigenous woman as well. So it's great to know there are women like you out there who are, who are going to be part of these uh, change makers and inspiring change. Um, not, I'm not talking in 50 years from now, you know, more like in the very near future. And we're starting to see that more so. I, I, I'm especially recognizing um, the different Indigenous women in Canada, for example, who, you know, who were behind, for example, the Idle No More movement, um, you know, the matriarchs who are coming forward and sharing their stories and their wisdom. And, you know, it's everyone from, uh, you know, young youth like Autumn Peltier to, you know, the grandmothers who continue to share their knowledge with us. So I feel very uh, happy and inspired that, you know, you're part of that change process. And I commend you for that. And I know there are going to be and already are lots of young people um, from different all different areas, different cultures, and in this case also in our community who are looking at people like yourself to be part of those change processes and um, to really help uh, shape and shift where we have been placed um, within politics or within education and, you know, even athletics. So um, I, I want to acknowledge that and I just wanted to express that to you. Yeah, um, thanks so much. And it has been um, interesting now doing a graduate degree versus an undergraduate degree. And I've um, learned a lot about academia and I've, you know, been able to kind of start to narrow down, I guess, basically, what is it I want to be when I grow up. Um, and um, it's been it's been really, it's been a really good process. I'm going to talk to you more about this. I'm just going to feed this monster because sure. otherwise he won't be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so you can give me five minutes no to just get him off with my back. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. He usually eats at seven and then this is the type of day where he gets just like annoyed like crazy so he wasn't, he wasn't gonna stop so at least if i found him now he would hopefully be quiet now um, well, it's the day he knew you were going to record a podcast and he's like yeah. I, I want in on that of course and i was just listening to him be like be quiet but then he thought i was playing so then he's like swatting at my arm I'm like okay i'll just go feed you um but, okay. i've had him for just over a year okay okay yeah yeah so he's um he's two so he is just a little baby and he acts like one um <laughs> yeah um so we're talking about education making a difference trying to get back on my train of thought <laughs> well we were we were discussing your your area your specialization in your master's and uh, I wanted to ask you about your blog your website because that's an extension to your 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 athletic and your academic and all the other layers that that make you who you are um that's an extension to you so joyspearchiefmorris.com um mm -hmm. 
there's your blog on there and you have different categories. You have your life and your athletics and your education and I believe political science as well, politics. Um, is there a particular blog you, you know, past or present that you want to speak on when that has just been something you would like the audience to, to know more about? Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to talk about kind of about my blog as a whole, because it has been a little bit of an evolution. Um, so I may jump back and forth with my degree because they kind of fit. Um, but um, I started the blog in 2017 after I graduated um, university and I moved to California and was pursuing training full time. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to kind of have this blog where I talk about, you know, this whole journey of being a post-collegiate athlete and, you know, my journey towards the Olympics. And I thought I would, you know, pretty much just write about what it was being a athlete and my perspective through that and, you know, how things were going and stuff like that. And that's how it started. Um, and I ended up having a lot of, um, a lot of working through that and, you know, how often do I blog and things like that. And, um, I realized that, you know, I should just be trying to make blogs when I have something I feel like is important to say, because then I feel like they had more meaning other than me just rambling on about things. Cause I thought I had to make a blog. And, um, so a lot of them focus kind of on, on that aspect. And, um, then it kind of, you know, developed into you know just things kind of related to my personal life and stuff and sometimes it was you know me sharing some of my favorite recipes or just talking about things I was kind of doing outside of track but you know we're related to basically track in one way or in the other um and then I kind of hit a little bit of a a wall in this past year where I just felt like I had nothing I wanted to write about I was kind of hitting some you know, like I was saying, I was going through that rough time and I was having that rough time with track, you know, there just wasn't anything I wanted to write about. Um, and I had just started my degree, my, my master's degree and was full-time busy with that. You know, I was doing so much writing, academic writing per week. I was like, I don't want to, you know, write anything else. It's like, why? it's the same thing with like books. You know, if you read academic journals all day, you don't want to read a book when you go to bed. Um, <laughs> it was, it was kind of becoming like that. Um, but I started to, so in, in preparing for this master's degree program, the department recommended that I take a undergraduate class as kind of like a prereq. Um, they thought would, you know, support some of my, um, lack of political science credits that they felt I should fulfill. Um, and the only class that was available within those parameters was this course called politics and media. And I kind of signed up in this evening class and, you know, I was like, I just have to take this to take this. Um, mm -hmm. But the more the class, I kind of realized what was cool about it was it was talking about how do, um, how does the media, how do journalists, how do these different things, you know, relate to politics and relate to each other and how do they relate to people and how do they impact people and how do people impact the media and all of that. And then how does people impact the government? Like those kind of chains. And I was kind of like, oh, I was like, I think this is what, I think that's what I want to do. I kept talking about, you know, how I want to be that person in between. And I didn't know what that was, but, you know, I always have enjoyed writing. And I was like, maybe I want to be a political journalist. You know, I want to be the person who's, you know, telling these stories, you know, like Watergate, breaking down SNC, SNC, Lava, and all those stories that are, you know, actually causing policymakers 
to make those policies and make those change. And they start from these grassroots movements and who are the people who are telling those stories. And I was like, that is what I want to do. And so, um, you know, over the course of this degree, I've been um, looking at, you know, how can I pursue political journalism? And basically what that's come to is, you know, I'm, I will most likely be pursuing a political, uh, sorry, a um, master's of journalism, specializing in political journalism after this, um, which I'm excited to, you know, eventually do. Um, it will be in a little bit. I'm going to take a little break from school after this degree again. Um, but I have always kind of been a little bit anxious about kind of sharing my political views just on my social media platforms. No issue sharing them in my class and in my academic writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but academic writing, I feel, is very strict. You have to write in a very particular manner. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to follow a very specific formula. And my blog is kind of the chance I get to free write. And I was, oh, I've always been nervous that if I share how I really feel about certain political issues or certain things that, you know, someone's going to come at me or, you know, someone's going to comment that I don't know what I'm talking about or all those sort of things. And I've always been worried about that. But when the What's What in protest started taking, um, taking holds around February, um, well, really, really kind of reaching media attention in February, they were going on, you know, long before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was listening to a, um, a CBC radio, um, The Current, I believe that. I'm not sure if it's a podcast or if it's a, a radio show. Um, but there was an episode of The Current that was recommended to talk to us just because of the story that had broken about um, you know, sexual abuse in sport in Canada. So all of us in the track world were listening to that and reading the story by Golden Mill on that. Um, mm-hmm. And it also coincided with the wet sweat and protests on, on the railroads. Um, and so they had some people on that, on that current episode talking about, you know, Oh, what does this have to do with land? And um, are these protests going to be reconciliation and is reconciliation happening? And I just mm-hmm. felt like the people who were giving those answers weren't well enough informed. They were making a lot of lofty claims. They weren't giving the right information. They were giving, you know, some right information but there was a lot of holes that they were missing and I was like I could I could tell this story better um and so I wrote it I wrote about it and then it took me a little bit of time to get the courage to post it and then I finally did and I got a lot of you know good feedback about it and then I just um over the last couple months I've written a little bit more and then um same thing kind of happened when um the George Floyd protests kind of broke out in Black Lives Matter and um I was having trouble processing it with how I felt as a as a black woman and as an indigenous woman in Canada and my experiences with racism and people contacting me and my how much my social media feeds were blowing up about um recognizing white privilege and all these sort of things from different Mm -hmm. people I was following where I'm like well I know what white privilege is I've experienced racism and all I could do was write about it and then I just the same thing I, I ended up posting it and that that post in particular has actually gotten a lot of um attention from a lot of different a lot of different people it's been shared a lot and it does make me a little bit happy to feel like yes people are are reading my words and are reading my story and it's actually making me more confident with how I'm writing and um being able to you know share these other sides of me that um I feel like haven't had a chance to really you know be be shared because I feel like a lot of times people just see me or think of me as just an athlete and that's always bothered me. I've, I've, you know, like mm-hmm. my identity is not just as an athlete. My identity is not just as an indigenous woman. It's not just as a, a black woman. It's not, mm-hmm. I, there's so many layers to me. And I just feel like a lot of times I'm, I'm always put into one box and 
it's hard yeah. for me to be able to, you know, float around those boxes a lot of times. And that's always kind of been my struggle with like, where do I belong? Where do I fit? And, you know, finding mm-hmm. my voice is allowing me to find ways to, to navigate those and make them my own. And it's still a, a work in progress. I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to do that in my way. Um, but um, it is, I'm, I'm, I'm starting, I feel like I'm starting to find it and I'm excited about, you know, what this could be for a career for me going on, onwards. Well, Joy, you have a powerful voice and I, I know that someday, if and when you decide to write a book, um, you'll have so many enriching perspectives to share. And as you said, you know, from the different parts that make you who you are externally, internally, um, you know, your, your, your career path and, and where your journey has taken you up to this point. I mean, um, you're young, but you're also very, um, in tune and connected with who you are and, and the way you, you see and understand the world and the way you understand the way the world understands you and perceives you. Um, as I read through your blog, I, there were certain key, uh, statements that you made that just really stuck out to me. Um, one for example is, I'm just going to quote it if that's okay here. Uh, embrace the feelings of discomfort. You know, I, for me, when the way that connected with me is when I'm asked to talk about what is reconciliation or what is the answer or this grandiose solution to reconciliation. Um, You know, you're the Indigenous voice in the room. We want to hear from you. (laughs) um, You know, it's, it's for me, it's, it's not a pretty answer. Um, I do believe in sharing solutions and possibility, exploring possibilities. Um, and one, one of my foundational beliefs is that it's not going to be comfortable. If we're going to talk about truth and reconciliation and truth and reconciliation processes um, in Canada, for, for example, well, it's not going to be comfortable. In fact, we need to get used to the idea of being uncomfortable. We, as in whoever I'm speaking to, you know, and most often not, it's not indigenous people um, because we have been uncomfortable for hundreds of years. So, you know, we're going to talk about the truths of things and, you know, it's not about blaming or pointing fingers, but you know what, we need to recognize what has happened and what is still happening today. um, If we're going to really, look at how we can change the way things have always been done, so to speak, to, um, to indigenous, the treatment of indigenous people. Um, and that, that, uh, sentence embrace the feelings of discomfort. I, I love that. And that's, in fact, that's one of my own personal, uh, philosophies. Um, I know that I'm learning when I'm uncomfortable <laughs> as a, as a teacher, I remind my students that, you know, if you're uncomfortable right now, um, you know, whether we're learning math equations or, you know, we're in health and we're talking about an uncomfortable subject such as sexual health and, you know, adolescents aren't always comfortable discussing those types of things, you know, I say embrace it because that means you're learning. That means you're soaking up whatever it is, your, your pro- how you're processing it, how your brain is making sense of everything, synthesizing the concepts, and then you know, it may not sink in right away, but somewhere along the way, it's going to click. So that statement that you made, you know, it's, it's so full and rich and it speaks to, to me as an Indigenous person and also as an educator on so many levels. Um, I also appreciate your uh, the statement after that, support those whose voices have been silenced. 
um, and, and reading through this particular, this is, I'm speaking to your June, your most recent June blog. There's so much enriching content in there, um, even just on a human being level, you know, um, that so much that others who, who will be coming across this and who have read your blog um, will be able to take away from that and, and step into it and say, where does this apply to me? You know, if, if I'm non-Indigenous or, or even if I am Indigenous, how, um, how does this apply to me or what, what role do I have to play in this? Because we do all have a role in, in uh, supporting those who have been silenced, including ourselves. So I, I really enjoyed reading through your blog. Um, and I know that, you know, as you continue on your journey, sharing your voice through journalism and writing, that's, that's a really excellent way to educate others. And it does get exhausting. <laughs> You know, in the blog here, you you know, you, you, you allude to the fact that it gets exhausting talking about racism, you know, a lot of the time. And, you know, it can happen for me. It's happened when I'm in the grocery store and, you know, I just want to go in and get my milk and eggs and leave. (laughs) And suddenly I'm, I'm in a conversation with someone who wants to know more and, you know, okay, well, here I go. It's my responsibility as a, as a teacher and as a Blackfoot woman to, to share with this individual who is seeming open to wanting to learn more, but it does get exhausting. And and I think it is important um, to pick and choose when we want to, to share that part of ourselves, that voice of ourselves, because ultimately we have to live it every day. And I'm inspired by you as a human being, as a woman and as an indigenous uh, person um, and black woman. So I'm glad you're writing this stuff and I can't imagine that it's, you know, it must sometimes feel very heavy, um, but it's necessary and we need more of these voices out there. Yeah. Um, I find sometimes like, especially with this blog post, me writing it, I actually felt a little bit lighter afterwards because I feel like I got those feelings out. And, um, I do find a lot of times that, um, you know, having to, a lot of times I get asked to do um, speaking engagements um, or, you know, comment on, um, you know, kind of racism in sport or those kind of experiences, um, which, you know, I, I do have from growing up. Um, and they're often painful experiences to have to relive. And I find a lot of times that I have reached that point of being so tired. I understand that they're important, but I feel like sometimes I, I need to do them on my own terms sometimes. and this was one of those instances where me writing it, um, I find um, if it's going to drain me completely of my energy, I need to find other outlets in which to do them. Um, and so when I was, you know, speaking of embracing the feelings of discomfort, a lot of times it is, you know, like, you know, embracing, you know, if you are a non-Indigenous or a non-person of, uh, person of color, you know, it is embracing in your own, I, you know, feeling of what does that, what does privilege mean? Really understanding what does privilege mean? and um, mm-hmm. I know having some conversations with um, my friends, you know, um, majority of my friends from growing up, but also um, currently are not people of color. So um, they are all going through different processes of learning what's happening. And, you know, some of my friends I've had known since I was three, one of my friends gave me a call and she was just like, I, and not that she, she didn't, not that she had to apologize or felt, but she was just like, I never realized all these things growing up that you were experiencing that we had no idea. And Mm -hmm. it's, and it's, and it's true, but that was a really kind of a great conversation that we had. And, 
you know, our friendship's not affected in any which way. We maybe now, maybe if anything, we have a, a more understanding of each other as, as, as full p- human beings from where we came from and stuff like that. But, you know, it was, you know, being able to in- engage in those kind of um, conversations and those feelings on both of our ends. But um, I think it's also, and for me, it's, you know, being comfortable, finding ways to be comfortable in sharing these views I have in, in different avenues. So, you know, it could be through my blogs and it's even through my academics. I have a tendency to kind of, um, you know, put like disclaimers on myself or on my writing to like, out of fear of, you know, being judged or, you know, people mm-hmm. coming after me for what I say. And I'm really trying hard to stop, stop doing that, especially when I'm writing. So if I'm, you know, writing about um, my research for my master's degree looks at the land claims process and um, treaties and looks at does this cro- does this process does the modern treaty process equal reconciliation and I I don't believe that it does but not being afraid to write that and not being afraid yes. to feel that it's wrong I find a lot of times in my academic career I've been um, you know told that my perspective is wrong or I've been told that what I say as an indigenous person as a, an indigenous person who didn't grow up on reserves as a as a mixed person has been I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't that I'm wrong. I've, I've faced that in different arenas and different classes and different places. And I'm having to, you know, unlearn that and learn that no, what I do say has meaning when I do say matters and I'm not wrong. I'm, I know what I'm talking about. I know how I feel. I know where this comes from. And that's been a really big process for me in, in, in even in academia and, you know, learning to be confident in my voice and not let it be silenced by people who may not agree with it. While you're living what you are writing about, you know, like you said, you know, let's to be a voice for the silenced and to be your own voice. I believe that we can be our own best advocates because we know our own story better than anybody else does. And to be able to articulate that, you know, along the way will help someone else who hears your story and hears your validation of who you are. Um, I think of our youth um, who are seeking that leadership in in the next generation of leaders um people in your age range of 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 young leaders but who have lived experience and who have that powerful voice and who are able to influence and inform and educate and continue to to live through your passions and with your purpose and that's so important our our youth are looking for that and and it makes me feel good as a teacher and as as an indigenous person that our youth now have people to look to for these these avenues of, okay, well, what is it I want to do? What is my purpose? Um, how can I, one person alone, one young person alone, you know, I, I say, for example, someone who's in junior high and who's, you know, thinking about their life beyond, you know, after they graduate from high school. Well, how can I be that one person to make change in the world? In the world? But really, it starts with one person and from there it grows. And we need to continue to hear and see these voices of our people uh, represented in media. And because it's not only important to see ourselves, but more importantly, it's to hear our authentic voices as the narratives that have been written about us in history and, you know, through movies and all sorts of other media forms has not been accurate. So we are really the ones to tell our story best and it makes me feel good knowing there are people such as yourself out there who are sharing those, who are sharing your story. Mm-hmm. And I, I 100% agree. I first felt that with, um, with, with sport. Um, and especially, you know, like, hey, I, when I was in high school, 
Um, particularly, I didn't want people to know that I was Indigenous because um, of the stigma and, you know, growing up in Lethbridge and the way things were um, and, you know, are still is, you know, there, there was such a, I felt just kind of a fear of, you know, having people stereotype me in those ways and, you know, feeling so much of an other already because, you know, I physically don't look like the majority of people in, in Lethbridge and my classmates and everything. And, you know, so I just really tried to not reject, but I really hid that part of my identity because I just, you know, was desperately trying to survive high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, by, you know, taking those classes in um, at Western in my undergrad and really kind of reconnecting with who I was, I felt more of a, 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 a sense of pride in, you know, seeing who I was as, as an Indigenous person. And one of those as well was um, the Western Track Field every single year partners with the Indigenous Student Center to do this um, Youth Track and Field Day and the Western team act as um, as volunteer coaches to the to all of these grade six and seven youth who come every single year to this event and through the track events. And um, so when I was on the team, I, I was a volunteer at that event. And I just remember, you know, feeling one just a sense of um happiness for the event also I felt like I had just a little bit of a responsibility to you know just be myself as an indigenous person and um say that I was an indigenous person and an indigenous person in sport and so the the one thing I did was just kind of um not really thinking too much about it is I just I changed my Instagram you know you had to do like your little title under your name or whatever and I just said I was Mm -hmm. an indigenous black Canadian hurdler athlete um and that was kind of it and I didn't really think much about it but in my head I was like I want to be that role model because for me growing up you know I didn't I couldn't really name any indigenous athletes out there maybe a couple across all sports in Canada I really had my brother to look up to and you know Mm -hmm. but there weren't any and now as you know as an adult and you know and you know kind of being more in these fields I've I've met other high-level indigenous athletes and I've learned of all these other athletes, but that took a lot of research. There weren't names I could drop off the top of my head. Like everyone knows who Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Michael Phelps, all these people, like all these role models that they had. Um, But how many indigenous athletes could you name off the top of your head if you weren't surrounded by them and you didn't see them growing up? And I always thought that was a shame. And that was always something that I felt like, you know, I wanted to be that role model I didn't have growing up as an indigenous woman in sports. So I just kind of, I just wanted to, you know, be that example in in any which way it could be, even if it was just on social media. So, um, and I still kind of believe that. I think that, you know, we, as you were mentioning earlier, representation is, is really important and it's important for our youth and us, even as us adults and us people to see people like ourselves, you know, achieve things. That's one of the things that I don't think enough people are kind of, realizing but in ways it's kind of coming through in this black lives matter movement as well as this idea of representation in um a lot of the you know the brands and stuff that i follow on social media um are working at promoting black and indigenous and people of color um Mm -hmm. businesses or profiles or you know companies all these influencers that don't get seen because of racism and because of systemic racism um, who aren't given the attention. It's an initiative that, you know, we started this week at with the work that I do with the Indigenous Student Center. We are trying to bring light to those voices and celebrate them and um, in different ways and across all different fields, across all different, um, you know, 
areas and avenues and environments and stuff like that. Just, you know, you know, sharing those voices and giving light to those, uh, those, um, those people, because it's important to that they're seen. And, um, and, you know, like, I know that I have my own failures with that as well, you know, because a lot of, you know, a lot of people I may fall in the, uh, maybe aren't necessarily um, people of color just because of, you know, my interests in different things. And mm-hmm. I'm working harder at finding, you know, I love following fashion blogs on Instagram, mm-hmm. for example. And, you know, I probably don't follow enough um, Black or Indigenous-owned companies, and I've really worked harder at making a more of an effort to follow those companies and, you know, and just see them in myself. And it's really enlightening. And it really is inspiring to see, like, ooh, who look who's doing these really amazing things like indigenous fashion week you know i was excited mm-hmm. for 2020 indigenous fashion week and it's been postponed <laughs> one day one day i'll go <laughs> um, that's that's my that's my side hustle it's my side dream i want to go to indigenous fashion week um but yeah those you know all those sort of um things i think it's just really important it's really cool and i i like that it's um starting to gain a little bit of momentum and you know in all areas that is so important. I just seeing ourselves, like you said, and and I, I want to go back to you had mentioned the Indigenous Track and Field Day. I think even for the youth that attend those the, that day, um, whether they're as, aspiring to increase their experiences in high high competitive athletics or just simply to attend a post-secondary after high school. Um, those days I know as a teacher are so important. I know that when we take our students on field trips, you know, they come back and um, sometimes it's the one student who's more introverted, um, maybe less engaged in class or in their in their schooling and maybe even with their social circles. But those types of days really can have a profound impact on on youth. I've seen it. I have seen it firsthand myself as a teacher when we come back from from events like that. And especially if they were led by Indigenous uh, people, uh, leaders and educators and people doing some amazing things from from across our Indigenous communities, that those experiences can really be life changing. You know, I, I think of some of the high school students I taught when I used to teach high school in Sixaga and, you know, taking them to the Calgary Philharmonic or, you know, we brought different Indigenous artists to the school to work with them. And, you know, the conversations that would come about afterwards and, you know, you would see how it would really just kind of be very eye-opening and and uh, worldly for them to realize that, hey, there's others doing it out there and, and maybe that is something I can do or wow, that, now that's something I want to do after high school and realizing that there really is life after high school, you know, and the challenges that, that we face as Indigenous people in high school are very unique and whether they're on reserve or off reserve. And um, I, I really appreciate that you you spoke to that experience as well yourself. And, you know, there's lots that can be learned from from those of us who have now moved on from high school and, you know, I always remind my students it's, it's all temporary. <laughs> you know, adolescence and just growing up in general and high school, the drama that comes with it and, you know, finding yourself. And then, you know, you add in the layers of perhaps being one of only a few Indigenous spaces in the classroom, you know, just hang in there. You know, you're going to continue. There's bigger and better things for you after this, this point in your life. And 
again, if I was in the classroom right now, I would be talking about people like you. I would have people like you on, on my walls, which I did. I had pictures yeah. of you in my classroom and right next to like Billy Mills and, you know, other people, inspirational people doing different things in from our community. So it does matter. And I wanted to ask you, you know, um, with all that you have experienced up to this point in your life, so many amazing accomplishments. I look at your your uh, list of achievements through sports alone, and then where your exciting journey is taking you through expressing your voice in your graduate studies, um, and then reading through your blog. What is one thing, if you could choose one thing, that you are deeply proud of in your life right now? You know, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a, a thing, but if I had to pick something I'm most proud of, I think, um, and it's taken some work to get there, but I think it would be that I've had the courage to start over so many different times um, because, you know, I transferred and I moved to London. I didn't know anybody when I moved here. I moved all the way across the a country I scared my mother for sure. <laughs> I remember when we first came to London, she was very freaked out. Um <laughs> about where she was leaving me um but uh, we also came in at night which is you know fair. but but um you know just having the you know the courage and, and belief in myself to start over and you know same thing pick up and move to California move to Santa Barbara and and then you know I think also the biggest was having the courage to realize that you know that wasn't where I was supposed to be and that was okay and and being able to come back to Ontario, because I always said I wasn't going to go back. I'd never leave. I, I said I was going to be here. I was going to stick it out. And realizing after 10 months how, how unhappy I was and that this wasn't, this wasn't the right fit for me and having the courage to come back and not, not see it as a failure, that was a, that was a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that took, that took a long time. It's taken probably about, it took about a year for me to realize, you know, coming back wasn't a failure. It was a success. Um, it was a success for me. Like that was, that was a big thing. I think you just, you just answered my next curiosity about what you're one of the biggest factors that has helped you be successful in your, in your journey up to this point. And it's like you said, having that courage and, and being very okay with, you know, having to shift directions and to leave something and then to know it's also okay to come back to it. Um, I think a lot of times as human beings, you know, we get so caught up in the, the, the plan that we have and this is how you see in your head um, executing your plan and you envision where you, where you believe you will be. And then life, life doesn't always work that way or some, but I always believe that there's always something um, better around the corner in the sense of, you know, at first glance, it may not have been what you anticipated, but if you trust in it, as, as you sound like you're very certain about where your journey is taking you, you know, you, you do get, and you give it a chance, you get to find out that, wow, this is actually where I am supposed to be. Um, I really appreciate that perspective that you have shared. Um, and it, and it makes me curious, um, uh, who has, who has been a big part of influencing you, um, maybe currently or, throughout your life. I know you had mentioned your brother. Um, is there anybody else who has, or other people who have uh, really been a strong source of support for you and in, in, in believing in you and, and as you continue to pursue your goals? Um, I could, you know, I could list a lot of different people. You know, there's been my coaches, um, 
Derek is the reason I ended up at Western and um, his belief in me as an athlete has, you know, gotten to me to where I am. And also my other, my other coach, Vicky Crowley, her, her support to me over the last couple of years has been incredible as well. And, you know, helping me get to where I am and just always, you know, both of them just kind of being an ear to, you know, uh, <laughs> to listen to when I'm having, you know, struggles and stuff like that. My, my family, obviously my parents, they've always been so supportive as well, you know, through everything I do and, you know, helping me find that success and reaching out when they can to, you know, provide any support they can. Um, you know, my brother, my friends in different ways, like, um, some of my friends from growing up, you know, I've known since we were, you know, like toddlers and, um, yeah, my one friend, she, she watches every single one of my track meets. I don't even have to ask her to do it. She just, she finds the links and she watches them. And it's, it's always meant so much to me. It's a small little thing, but it's just simple things like that, where it's like, it doesn't matter that, you know, we haven't lived in the same city in eight years. Um, you know, just little things like that. We're so connected. Um, so it is, you know, all those, it's all those little things and yeah, that have helped me be successful in that. And, you know, also like therapy, it's as crazy as it is, like, um, you know, it's helped me find, um, ways to, you know, be able to, like I said, be able to see my, what I thought was a failure and even being able to see that in a success and stuff like that, you know, took, took, you know, um, both, you know, sports psychology and, um, you know, personal psychotherapy as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's beautiful, and I think more and pe- more people need to know that it's it's in fact necessary in many cases and very essential that we look at different ways of taking care of ourselves and and looking at exploring the different avenues. And I, I can relate with you on that as well. Um, okay, so I'm curious, mm-hmm. what is one thing that you would like young athletes, aspiring athletes, children and youth um, who are considering going into competitive sports, what is one thing you think would be important for them to know? Um, so like speaking of like indigenous youth? Any any young person? Um, so I would say one thing I always said is like try all different, you know, sports and activities because, you know, um, you never know what you're going to find that you're good at or that you love and all those sort of things. And I think especially to, you know, like indigenous youth is, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be hard in different aspects, um, depending where you grow up and, you know, it might not be, um, it might not be, okay, I'm going to rephrase this because I'm rambling. Um, so I guess like one of the things is with going back to the Western, um, track and field day, I guess, for example, um, I have been really fortunate enough in the last couple of years to have a direct role in organize, organizing the event. Um, I, you know, approached the Indigenous Student Center when I moved back and said, I have so many ideas. I really want to be a part of this event. Please let me do it. I'll do it for free. And mm-hmm. that's how I ended up getting a job at the Indigenous Student Center. They're like, oh, no, no, no. Come, uh, we'll, we'll pay you to do this work, which was, you know, nice. But mm-hmm. I, would, I said I would have done it for free. I just really want to be involved in, you know, making this event Mm-hmm. you know as big and as important as it could be and part of that has been me talking to the western track team about why youth outreach is um important from an, an indigenous standpoint it's not you know it's not like um it's not outreach to poverty and all these sort of things it's it's different than that and, and understanding the kind of the systemic and historical issues that are tied into um education for indigenous people and why this event is important for youth that was part of it but 
on a youth standpoint, I really wanted to make sure that there was equal representation of Indigenous people that they saw on that day, not just the track team, because, you know, when I was on the track team, I was the only Indigenous person on a team of 100 people. Um, Mm -hmm. So just being able to, you know, have that for that day, making sure they were intermingling. And what I told the track, what I tell the track team the last couple of years before that event is I say, you know, I don't care if at the end of the day, none of these kids come out of this wanting to be track athletes. That's not the goal of the event. The goal is that they Mm -hmm. had a good time. They learn something about themselves. They learn something about wellness and sport and about the university. Like that's all I I care about. And I think that's probably the most important thing about sport itself is what is it that you learn from yourself? Do you like being active? Did you like sport? Do you like this sport? Do you like, do you want to find a different sport? Or what did you learn about what it taught you about yourself? And I think that's the most important thing about sport. Competitive sport isn't for everybody. You know, there are some people who I've run into in the track world who loved going to practice and hated competing. And I was the opposite person. I said, why? I, I want to compete. I love that feeling. And that's not for everybody. So I think it is understanding why are you in sport? What is the importance of sport to you? So, um, Yes, the why. Yeah. Wow. That, which connects everything to purpose. Um, okay, I want to know, is there a particular theme song or music artist that you play right before you compete? Like the song that gets you amped up and ready to go? So I have I have a, a playlist, a particular playlist okay, yeah. that I listen to. And it has, um, it's, you know, sometimes there's some changing songs in there, but there's like a couple of set ones. And it's just, they come up, they have particular memories that they bring up that I just that sparked that feeling to me like one of them is and they're just re- like king perry's dark horse that yeah always just gets me it reminds me of when my first kind of collegiate meets competing in seattle and just like the feeling of you know that excitement and doing well and that's what that song kind of brings up for me and then the other one is <laughs> bruno mars is 24 karat magic because that was the song that played before i won my OUA title in the um 60 meter hurdles and set the school record that song played right before we started that race and so wow. i always play that one so it's just you know songs like that then it, there's so much there's you know there's songs on there that are different hip-hop and r&b songs that my brother has you know given me and some are you know weird songs like like Katy perry and just different pop songs and um, or there's some like indie rock songs on there. It's just an interesting <laughs> arrangement of music. But the whole point of my playlist is it. I want me. I want it to help me feel like a, a boss, basically, for other words. But also, mm-hmm. you know, just get excited and um, in that competition mood. And because I always play the same playlist when I warm up for meets, it kind of mentally puts me in that same mm-hmm. mental place because I play the same. So I'm listening to my warm up playlist it means I'm warming up for a meet. So I usually don't actually play that playlist any times. Like if I'm working out, like just working out like at home or at the gym, I'm playing different playlists. It could just be like, you know, whatever is top 40s on, or it could be some summer playlist that I put together, or I have mm-hmm. a workout playlist that's a bunch of like songs from the early 2000s and, 90, and 1990s. <laughs> but um, it's, it's a different playlist because I need to be in a different mind frame. I, I have to, my coach really said, you have to become a different person when you are, when you're a sprinter and competing because it's a, uh, it's a rough world in the sprint world. <laughs> it's a lot of um, a lot of guts. You have to be mean sometimes. So, mm, wow, I love that. I love how you connect the songs that get you going with with the memories that you know 
support or that have been part of your journey. Um, I think that's awesome. <laughs> and those are some great songs, by the way. I, I really enjoy those songs. And and I think that music just really, really can play an important part in helping us shift our mood to, you know, whatever we're feeling to either really indulge that or to get us to the place where we need to be. And, and I think even more so as a, for you as a professional competing athlete, how important that is where your head, your uh, headspace and your mind is at. Oh, a hundred percent. And even, um, when I'm, um, researching or studying, for instance, I'm listening to completely different music than in my normal everyday life. I'm pretty much listening to completely instrumental, no vocals soundtracks. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no music, I'm always listening to something, whether it's a, a podcast or music or something, there's always, there's always something playing in my apartment or in my car or in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, I'm just looking at your uh, some of the awards that you have uh, you have been awarded um, for your many accomplishments in in your sports career. I, I just want to make some some mentions. I, I want to congratulate you on the uh, be, being the successful top graduating female athlete of the year for Western's FWP Jones uh, Award. Like, how amazing is that? Um, how did you feel? Um, what were you feeling when you found out that you were selected for that award? Um, that I will say is probably one of my favorite Western moments ever because <laughs> um, it's the athletics banquet at the end of the year. And I was nominated and also my, my best friend Kaylee was also nominated for that award. Um, yeah. And uh, I love, I love Kaylee. She's, she's, she's beat me out for a couple of things before she's beat me for team MVP and she's beat me out for, team captain and so I was sitting there knowing how much I wanted but also being like you know what because the year before I was nominated for there's athlete of the year and then there's graduating athlete of the year and graduating is the big one that's FPW okay and so I was nominated for athlete of the year before that um the year before and I I didn't win it and so this one I was like you know if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and I I won and I just remember being in kind of shock and you know, they, they, they usher you up on stage. And I remember like they hand you the trophy. It's, it's huge. It's like half of me. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm like, this is so big. And I remember just like walking to the stage and, um, they tell you, they, they let you know ahead of time that you're a top three nominee and they say, please prepare a speech for you win. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to prepare a speech. Cause if I lose, I don't want to have the speech that I wrote. So I didn't write a speech. And then I remember getting to the, they ushered me to the, the podium and there's 600 student athletes per year at western um wow. so imagine this you know it's at the london convention center there's you know at least half of those athletes are there plus coaches plus some family members like you know everyone it's a very full room and i looked at the the kind of the um the screen that they have for the podium person and it says now joy will give a speech and i go oh Oh no. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, I ended up talking, speaking from the heart. I can't even really remember what I said. I know I got one of my coaches' names wrong. I forgot on the spot and people were laughing, but it was, you know, it was such a thing. And I won the purple, it was a big night. I won a purple blanket that night as well as a top 12 graduating athlete. So I, um, it was just, it was incredible. And um, I just remember, you know, people coming up to me from different sports and from my team and, just congratulating me and it was one of those moments where I felt like I was like oh I'm, I belong <laughs> like just having that feeling of like I belong here and people 
people want people are happy that I won and um and I was so happy and it was yeah it was great I remember called my parents on the way home driving home and um celebrating with my team that night and waking up the next morning it was just yeah I was in a daze it was it was wonderful it was a great moment (laughs) wow that yeah I'm just I'm just going through everything with you as you're as you're uh, giving me some very good visuals and what came to mind you know is the people at um like the grammys or the oscars and they really didn't have a speech because they didn't you know they didn't anticipate winning or they just they just didn't have a speech and then they're up there and you know they're they're saying names and <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wow so- yeah i just i also remember what the thing was is that the the male graduating athlete um he, he, so he was announced after me. So he goes up and he pulls out of his, you know, suit pocket this like handwritten thing, and I'm like, oh great, like go ahead and show me up now. Like you have your whole speech written out so nicely. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, they say the speeches that come from the heart are the best. So <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you did everything proud. <laughs> yeah, it's been three years now. I don't remember what I said, so I think we're good. <laughs> Um, and that was the same year that you won the Tom Longboat Award. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the Tom, Tom Longboat Award? Yeah, so, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Tom Longboat Award is named after Tom Longboat, who's, um, I believe, from Onondaga. Um, um, he's a Six, Nation, Six Nations in Onondaga, I believe. Um, he was a distance runner. Um, back in the early 1900s, uh, ended up being, um, I believe, the first Indigenous man to complete the Boston Marathon. Um, had I'm trying to remember details off them at the top of my head, but very, very successful. I'm not just an Indigenous runner, but a successful distance runner generally um, mm-hmm. in Canada and the world. And so the award is awarded every year to a top female and a top male um, Indigenous athlete in Canada. And I was the Canadian, Canadian sorry, I was the female recipient for 2017 so that was a really cool thing to be nominated for and receive wow wow that's that's amazing you know I mean it being an indigenous athlete I'm sure that yeah that had some special special meaning to you as well yeah it was a really cool experience and it was um it was in Toronto and I got flown out because at that point I was living in California so I got flown up for it was um, at the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame that they awarded it. Um, so I got to be part of that very fancy event. And um, my mom got to come as well. So they flew her from Alberta. So she got to be a part of that event with me. And then my coach, Vicky, also got to come as well because um, she was my nominator. So it was nice to have the um, share the night with the two of them. Wow. Congratulations on that. And I mean, on everything that you've accomplished, I, I mean, the list is very long. and, and very lot so much to be proud of and you know you are soaring joy you know this is I don't want to say this is only the beginning because you have you have, you have already accomplished a lot in your life however there's I, I can see that there's so much more that you're going to continue to achieve and um, the way you're going to continue to live passionately and following your purpose and achieving your goals and setting the bar for others and inspiring others around you and around the world and I want to ask you where do you hope to be one year from now where do you see yourself 
Uh, so <laughs> I think funny enough is this week was supposed to be Olympic trials in Montreal. So <laughs> I'm betting a year from now I will probably be at Olympic trials for um, next summer. That is my goal. So I'm hoping to make the Olympic Games for next year in the 100-meter hurdles. So, um, And then from there, you know, just, you know, next phase of my life, I want to pursue journalism and um you know and start pursuing a career and all that I today forgot how old I was so um, <laughs> I was you know you know those thoughts on when I run sometimes you know your mind wanders and I was like where am I gonna I was having kind of those thoughts of okay so you know I'll just do you know this and then I'll be this old and then I forgot how old I was so um <laughs> yeah so I'll be 27 next year yes <laughs> so still lots of time to figure out even though a lot of times I feel like I'm running out of time with my 20s but you know lots of time to figure out what I'm going to do <laughs> well you you have certainly filled them up with with lots of stories and I mean you could write a book right now you know with everything you have experienced and um, your perspectives on different things that impact you and and perspectives others would very much benefit from learning more about or identifying with. Um, so I want to move into the final four questions as we come to a close with this very exciting and inspiring conversation that we have had. I mean, you have me feeling so inspired. I've, I, I have ideas that have popped into my mind, but I'm, I'm <laughs> so engaged with what you're saying. I'm making little mental notes along the way and hoping I remember them. Um, but I, I know that you're, we're all rooting for you. I want to say that, you know, with your, your uh, aspirations to, to compete in the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games, we're all rooting for you and, and everything else that you continue to do from here on. Um, but I, I like to finish off the, uh, the podcast with a couple of final four questions. Um, just And really, the fun of it is that I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. So basically, I'd like you to take no more than 10 seconds to answer. Even okay. then, I think I'm pretty generous. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Uh, first one is, what is one word that describes you? bubbly I don't know I think that was like what people used to say to me when I was like in elementary school but um, mm -hmm. I think when I'm really truly myself that would probably also describe me <laughs> okay um where is one place you would love to live for one year in the oh, world just for one year yeah uh, honestly I would love to live in like London like London England not the one I live in a London but I'd like to live in the the, the nicer cooler London Okay, so so you've you've hit the London, Canada, and England is next. <laughs> yeah, I just I I love like British fashion and style and blogging and all food and all of that sort of stuff. I would just love to live there for a year, just a year though. That's it. Have, have you been there before? I have not been to England yet. Okay, okay. Well, well, that's definitely on your bucket list for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, favorite team team yes oh I'm I'm just gonna say the Lakers because it's like a family thing you know like 
Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't say maybe necessarily like the current Lakers, but the Lakers in their prime with Kobe Bryant, because you know, my it's that's you know we grew up with um, we grew up with Kobe, and you know my brother being so big into basketball, like he's this hero. So you know those Lakers Christmas Day games, you know that was that's what we did. Now it's the um, you know Golden State and Raptors Christmas Day games that we watch, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that would, uh, you know, that's off the top of my head. I love watching professional sports, but like on an occasion, like I'm a big March Madness fan, but I'm not going to watch, you know, every single weekend, every single game. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think you have the time to either. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather spend my time watching um, reality television, which is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask you that. What is your guilty pleasure? Oh, yeah, it's reality television. I'm a major fan of The Bachelor. Um, it mm-hmm. may be my favorite. I, well, now they have um, Netflix has gotten into the um reality dating shows so like um too hot to handle and the what's it called um love is blind or oh, those are yeah. prime shows i just i love them i just love mindless television sometimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was wondering about those shows because for me one of my guilty pleasures is just reading about the celebrities i i go on to us magazine on on my phone mm-hmm. and cruise through and I'm always seeing you know little little stories about the people in the reality shows you just talked about and I'm like hmm okay is that something I want to explore (laughs) so I actually know who these people are that they're talking about (laughs) oh yeah no I just love watching these people's edited lives (laughs) in front of me (laughs) well I um I just want to say your blueberry muffins looked very very delicious um, I, I have to know, have you explored other recipes since your highly successful baking experience with the blueberry muffins? Yeah, so I've actually gotten into a little bit more baking. I, um, I share a lot of my cooking and my baking on my Instagram. Um, so I have been really big. I've, I've gone to the banana bread thing before COVID, I will say, but since COVID, I've made quite a few loaves. Um, <laughs> I started doing cornbread. I, 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 made, I, I live alone, so I have to find ways to entertain myself. So I made my own little cooking show on my Instagram shows with the cornbread because I got ended up with um, my dad always makes cornbread. So I got his recipe. But then because I got dad's recipe, mom said I had to try her recipe. And then my oh. supervisor gave me her <laughs> recipe. So I had three. I'm, I've done two, but one more to work through. Um, so I've been taste testing those recipes. Um, I uh, tried making cinnamon buns and I'm one, I'm like a pinch cook in normal life. So baking yeah. is hard for me because it has to be so measured. So mm-hmm. a lot of times I fail. Um, I made cinnamon rolls and the first time they failed, they did not rise. They like looked like the book. I had like a before picture and I always share my mistakes as well. So I had a before yeah. picture. And then the after picture was just a harder version of the before picture. Um, <laughs> but then I, you know, tried tried again with a friend gave me a different recipe and I tried again and I used, you know, the proper flours and yeast and all those sort of things. And they, they worked out better. So I can make cinnamon rolls I can add to my, my list as well. Um, yeah, but the hard thing is because I, because I live alone and I make all this baking, it's great, but then I end up eating like a 12 thing of cinnamon rolls by myself for a week <laughs> because no one else will eat them. So. 
Wow, I love that for you and Tap Tux. <laughs> yeah, the little the little guy is on a on a diet, unfortunately, so he's not allowed to have any human food. But his favorite snack is popcorn. If I have it, he will come from any point in the apartment and dig his face into the the bowl. Aww. <laughs> Cats are, yeah, cats are great. And that was actually one of my questions. I have quite a few here in the fun. (laughs) That was one of them was cat or dogs, cats or dogs. And you already answered that one when I heard cats. Oh, yes. Yeah, I have a cat. It's uh, funny because a lot of my friends are are dog people. And um, I've always, like, me me and one of my closest friends who I train with, her name's Caroline. She's a huge dog person. She knows every single dog breed, all those sort of things. And we always joke because I'm like, yeah, I like like dogs. I want a dog, but I just prefer cats. And she's always like, yeah, but, you know, dog people are always like, dogs are everything and cats are like the devil. But, like, (laughs) it's like you can't have – that's how I always feel dog people are. It's like they're just so against cats. And it's like, I think dogs are fine. I just prefer cats. So (laughs) – they have sort of an, an elite reputation, you know, they're very selective and um, they don't come to you, you go to them, you know. Mm-hmm. How very true. Wow, well, this this has been just very enlightening and, and I'm so excited for our listeners to have some really uh, deep and inspirational, thoughtful takeaways from, from our conversation and from your story, more importantly. And I really do look forward to continuing to follow you on your, your journey through education, your writing, your journalism, and your athletics and, and everything else that you do and will continue to do in this world joy because you you certainly have a special spirit and I know that you are you are already making a difference in the lives of many by being who you are and sharing your story well thank you and um thanks for having me um thanks for having me on your podcast this was really fun All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your year. And I look forward to seeing what you do next. All right. That sounds great. (laughs) Okay. Have a great day. You too. Wow. What a great conversation that I just had with Joy Spear Chief Morris. I am super honored to have been able to sit with her and share space and talk about things that are very important to us as women and as Indigenous women and also as educators. I'm very much looking forward to watching her journey continue to unfold as she pursues her dreams in athletics and academia. I hope you felt the inspiration as I did, and I certainly look forward to seeing what Joy does next. I believe whatever brand decides to sponsor Joy is going to not only support the dreams of one amazing elite athlete, but also be part of supporting the dreams of many Indigenous athletes who are very talented and skilled and who have so much potential ahead of them. It is remarkable athletes and women like Joy Spear Chief Morris who inspire others and who make a difference in the world. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I would love to hear from you, and it would mean so much to me if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed this podcast. For more Talks with a Fox, you can like our page on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Talks with a Fox Podcast. 
Have a wonderful day. And remember to dream big. You have the most important part in making your dreams come true.